Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, thank you, Paul and Bev, for that classic. That was great, wasn't it? All right. Anyways, I want to welcome all of you here at Central Campus, and also those of you who are joining us online. And uh, those of you also who are meeting together at one of our other uh, campuses in Airdrie, in um, Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in the northwest part of our city in uh, Crowfoot. We're in a series uh, we're referring to as Christianity 101, in which we're examining the core beliefs of the Christian faith. And presently, we're looking at what the Bible has to say about the church, uh, God's plans and purposes for the church. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 37, Jesus asked, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what is the most important thing that we can give our lives to or should give our lives to as Christians? And the short version of what Jesus said is this. In this life, nothing is more important than loving God and loving people. Now, the sad thing is, it is possible to live your whole life and miss out on that. It is possible to live your life pursuing good things while neglecting the most important thing that God created us for, and that is a relationship with himself and also a relationship with the people that he brings into our lives. Not that it's wrong to want to achieve things. Jesus is simply saying here, don't cheat on your relationships in order to achieve more things. Because when it's all said and done, your relationships are going to mean so much more to you than achievements. Now up to this point, we've looked at the importance of loving God and loving one another. In this message, we're going to examine what the Bible has to say about loving others and why that really matters to God. Before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand as we dedicate this time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we just want to thank you for revealing yourself through your son Jesus, the living word, revealing yourself through the scriptures, the written word, revealing yourself in creation, revealing yourself through others. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to understand in a new way why it is that you're building your church. The fact is that we're, we're your church. It isn't about buildings or worship services. It's, it's, it's us. And Lord, just soften our hearts, focus our minds, As we study your word, Lord, give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. So I want to start out by asking you a very important question. Have you ever wondered why God has left you here and not taken you to heaven yet? If you would not consider yourself to be a Christ follower then according to the Bible, the reason that you're still here is because God is pursuing you. He is pursuing you 
to be in relationship with him. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves you. He created you. And, and like any loving, good father, he wants to have a vibrant friendship with you. And he's been pursuing you. He's been trying to get your attention your entire life. The question is, have you been listening? Are you open to him at all? Now, those of us who are Christ followers, we, we're still here. Because God wants us to be his representatives on this planet. He wants people to see his reality in our lives, in our work, in our marriages, our families, our friendships, and for us to introduce those in our sphere of influence to him. That's the major reason why we're here and not in heaven. Now, you know, I, I don't always understand the ways of God. I don't know why he calls some people home so early in life and why he allows others to linger so long before he calls them home. But I do know this, we are not leaving this planet as long as he has a purpose to accomplish in us and or through us. Psalm 138 verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. In Proverbs 19, verse 21, we read, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. His purpose for us prevails. Many years ago, my doctor told me that from a medical perspective, my time on earth was limited. But then in a very intimate moment with my Lord, I heard him say, Henry, you're not coming home one moment before I say you're coming home. And in that simple statement, he reminded me of his calling for my life to, to be his witness, to be his missionary. And that my life was in his hands, not in a bad news medical report. He assured me that there were things yet that he wanted to do in and through my life and that I wasn't coming home before his purposes for me were fulfilled. That was over 30 years ago. And I shudder to think of all the incredible adventures with Jesus I would have missed if I had caved into those fears. If I'd allowed Satan to convince me that it was over, that I was done, and stopped following God's call in my life. Some of you may be facing serious health issues. Perhaps you're feeling handcuffed, fighting feelings of fear and despair. I've been there, and I don't want to minimize those very real feelings that you have, except to encourage you not to waste another minute obsessing over the day that you will die. That day is set. You can't stop its approach. Rather, I want to challenge you to focus on living all out for Jesus now, to love God and to love people, to be the light that he's called you to be. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. You're my representatives in this world. Your life, your words testify to my reality and to my kingdom. 
You see, ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, God has been on a mission to bring all people back in right relationship with himself. And this is why Jesus came. In Luke 19, Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, those who are spiritually separated from God. Jesus came to fulfill his heavenly Father's mission to make a way through his death and through his resurrection for all people to be reconciled with God, to be made spiritually alive again by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And in John 20, verse 21, it's as if Jesus turns to each one of us and looks us in the eye and he says to us, as the Father has sent me now, so send I you. In Matthew 28, he put it this way. Therefore, go and make disciples. Replicate what I've done in you in the life of someone else. Let me do that through you. This is the mission that we've been called to. To fundamentally love God and to love people. And when we submit ourselves to him and become vessels that he can use to introduce people to Jesus, we are involved, please get this, we are involved in the most God-glorifying activity possible because nothing is closer to the heart of God than to see his children come back home. Nothing. 1 Timothy 2 says, it's so well, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the heart of our God. This is the supreme reason I believe that we're still here on earth and we're not in heaven. The question I want to explore in the time remaining is the practical side of this. And that is, how do we live this out on a day-to-day basis? Well, I can't think of a better model to follow Uh, And then that of the life of Jesus Christ. You read the story of Jesus' life in the Gospels, it's pretty evident that he lived a very focused and purposeful life. He never seemed to be in a hurry. His words were never wasted. Always were filled with wisdom. And his behavior seemed very intentional. And that is because he had only one overriding purpose in life. And that was to carry out the mission that his heavenly father had given to him. So how did Jesus go about fulfilling the mission God had given to him? Well, to begin with, Jesus did only what his heavenly father told him to do. Even though Jesus is fully God, while he was here on earth, he chose not to exercise his divine privileges and power. Instead, he lived every day in total dependence upon his Father to direct his steps and to empower his life. And John 5.30 tells us that while he was on the earth, Jesus' consistent attitude was, by myself, I can do nothing. Apart from my Father, I can do nothing. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus gave highest priority to his relationship with his heavenly father. 
The Gospels tell us that on a regular basis, Jesus went off to a quiet place by himself to be with his father, to pray and to receive his father's assignments for the day. And church, if we're going to introduce others to Jesus, this Jesus that we know and love, then we need to live in total dependence on Jesus, even as he depended totally on his father. You see, God calls us to more than not sinning. He calls us to more than just attending weekend worship services. Now, now please understand, not sinning is a good thing. I'm not speaking against that, all right? I'm not trying to minimize that. And, and also, it's crucial. You know, the worship services, attending worship service like this on a regular basis is crucial because we consider it to be an important part, um, kind of a core component of the discipleship process. But I want to remind us that first and foremost, God wants us to be in relationship with Him. It is through our friendship with him that he directs our steps. And the key to that dependence is cultivating our relationship with him. By hearing God speak to us through the scriptures, through his whispers, and responding to him in prayer. And so long before we talk to our friends about Jesus, it is so important that we talk to Jesus first about them. Because we can't change anyone's heart. Only God can. But he wants to bring about change in the lives of others through us. And so our job is to keep our eyes attuned to the Lord and to follow his lead. And that involves daily surrendering ourselves anew to him. And even before we get out of bed, he's the first one we talk to. And we say things to him like, Lord, my hands are open before you. I'm available to do whatever you need me to do. I'm available to pray for someone today. I'm available to share my story with someone. I'm available to serve someone. I'm available just to be there for someone. It's inviting him to do our day with us and saying, Spirit, I'm going to be listening for your direction in my life today. And I'm going to respond to the assignments that you give me today. Please show me through your word if there's um, any motivations in my, my life, in my heart. If there's any wrong attitudes toward other people that, that I need to come clean over. Show me where you're at work. Help me to see what you see and prompt me to do what you would have me to do. Yesterday morning, I I met with my prayer team and I was sharing with them how sometimes God prompts me to pray for someone or to say something to someone or perhaps to do something for someone. And shortly after, I'll get a word that my obedience to God made a difference in some way. And that's always encouraging to my faith. But you see, most of the time, I don't know whether my obedience made a difference or not. But every once in a while, God prompts someone to remind me that nothing we do in his name is in vain. About six months ago, a a woman came up to me after a service and said, do you remember me? 
I was in uh, your youth group around 25 years ago. <laughs> now, folks, if we haven't talked for 25 years, I just want to remind you, your looks have a way of changing <laughs> over 25 years. And even though I, I really want to, I, I, I might not recognize you, okay? Anyway, she was really nice about it. Proceeded to remind me of how 25 years ago, I had cautioned her about a relationship that she was in. And that really ticked her off. Because even though she knew the guy had some significant character issues and some, some, some uh, bad, bad destructive habits, she was convinced that she could help him. And so she didn't want to hear what I had to share. And she was so upset she left our church. And she went on to tell me that she married the fellow. Six months later, it was all over. And how more recently, after a pretty tumultuous life, she came back to the Lord. And then she thought of me and our church and wondered whether I was still at Center Street. Well, she was quite shocked to find that I was still alive. <laughs> uh, that I was still here. But anyway, she looked me up and, and just wanted to thank me for caring enough about her to be honest with her and to point her to Jesus. About a month ago, uh, another woman came up to me after a service and said, do you remember me? <laughs> and again, I couldn't remember her, but she went on to remind me that some 20 years ago, uh, she was at the end of her rope, had been passing through the city, and uh, that we had invited, my wife and I had invited her and her kids to stay at our place for a few days. She just wanted to say thank you and let us know that our compassion, our hospitality, time with our family served as a turning point in her life in a good way. And then more recently, another woman approached me and said, do you remember me? This is the truth, folks. It really is. But and she reminded me about how 10 years ago she was without a place to stay. My wife and I had invited her to sleep over for a night. And she confessed that while our hospitality and friendliness and generosity really touched her, she wasn't prepared at the time to follow Jesus with all her heart. And she went on um, to tell me about how through many years, she just went on making one decision, bad decision after another, suffered through an immense amount of abuse in her life. More recently, she came to the end of herself, surrendered her life completely to Jesus. And when she thought of a church that she wanted to be part of, she remembered us and looked me up and with lots of tears told me her story. And uh, all of this was just God's way of reminding me just to be faithful. Just to be faithful. You know, every once in a while, I, I find that, you know, when I'm weary, when I'm, I'm kind of discouraged, my loving Heavenly Father, He just knows what I need. He just loves to encourage me like this and remind me just to keep listening to His voice. Remind me to just keep faithfully carrying out the assignments that He's given to me. In the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, to stand firm, to let nothing move me, to always give myself fully to the work of the Lord because I know that my labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. It's not in vain. And you know, that's a word for us all. When God calls you to pray, when he calls you to do something, when he calls you to give or whatever, and you do it, even if you never have any evidence that your obedience made a difference, on the authority of God's word, the passage that I just quoted a moment ago, you can know that whatever you do for the Lord is not in vain, folks. Just be faithful. Just believe that God, he will use your faithfulness, your obedience in praying for someone, in caring for someone, serving someone, uh, giving to someone to make an eternal difference in their lives. Jesus lived in humble dependence upon his heavenly father. Secondly, he lived a holy and God-pleasing life. His heavenly father said of him at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, we're living in a world that's weary of words. They couldn't care less what we say, but they will listen to a person who lives a supernaturally different lifestyle. People can argue with your ideas. They can make an issue of your beliefs but they can't argue with a life that's well lived. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's saying, you and me, we're the vehicle, please get this, we're the vehicle through which God's kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand that? In other words, if we're going to see some of the beautiful things of heaven come to this planet, it's going to come primarily through your life and my life. So reflect on your life for a moment. If everyone in your family was just like you, if everyone in your small community group was just like you. If everyone in our church was just like you, lived like you, had the values you have, the morals you have, had the servant heart or lack of servant heart, what would your family really look like? What would your community group look like? What would our church look like? See, some people may never read the Bible but they'll read your life. The question is, what do they read when they read you? What version of Jesus do they see when they read your life? Who are you when no one else is looking? I love the story of the fellow who sent a letter to Revenue Canada during the tax season in which he said, Dear sirs, for the past several months, I haven't been able to sleep or live with myself because I failed to disclose the total amount of my income. Encloses a check of $500 toward that end. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) 
Do you know in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And as his followers, folks, do you realize he gives us his authority, he gives us his power to impact our world, to introduce people to him. He gives that to us. But you see, if there's dishonesty, if there's slander, if there's gossip, if there's impurity, if there's envy or greed and the like in our life, and I'm not talking about passing greed or whatever, I'm talking about a habit pattern that we know full well is there and we're just not dealing with it. If that is there, Jesus says we lose our saltiness. Folks, what that means is we lose our God-given authority and power as his followers. Our impact is diminished. It's like the light gets turned out. And the only way that we can regain it is to humble ourselves, confess it to God, and ask Him to fill us with His Spirit again. And He wants that for us. And He offers it to us freely. That's why He died for us. Thirdly, Jesus accomplished his mission through a small group. As I pointed out last time in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And the us in that verse, of course, is referring to the Holy Trinity of God. And what that tells us is that God has never been alone. God has always been a community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, each of whom, of course, is not only a person, but is God. Now, given the close relationship Jesus had with his heavenly Father, you would think that he would have been content just to leave it at that, to carry out his Father's mission just with him and his Father. We got this covered. And yet, the very first thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry, now remember, he was not only fully God, or is fully God, but he is, was also fully human. And the human part of him the very first thing that he did was to surround himself with a small group of men. He knew that he needed the companionship of others to carry out the mission his father had given to him. And friends, if we're going to stay on track and fulfill the mission that God's given to us, we're going to need to support the encouragement of a small group of like-minded people. I mean, as I pointed out last time, there's going to be times when we're going to get broadsided by an unexpected loss or a hardship. And we're going to need the support and encouragement of others to help us get back on our feet. But when it comes to carrying out the mission that God's called us to, there's going to be times when, when we're going to sense him prompting us to take a bold step of faith, whatever that might be. Maybe it's having a spiritual conversation with a coworker to kind of bring it up. Or maybe it's to help someone in a significant way that may involve a significant amount of time and perhaps even some sub substantial cash. And while we're doing that, we're going to 
battle, fear. We're going to have doubts about whether this is what we should be doing. Because everyone else around us just seems to be, you know, it's all about them. They're spending all their money on them, all their time on them. And here we are, giving our lives away in love for, for someone else. And it's so countercultural. And it's difficult. And it's precisely in that moment we're going to need a few like-minded friends who are on the same page that we are. Who not only pray for us, but encourage us and actually join us and remind us that we're not crazy giving away our life in love to others. I love the story of the general who was inspecting a brigade of paratroopers. And he came up to the first paratrooper and he said, do you love jumping? young man. And he responded, yes, sir, I do. And he asked the second paratrooper the same question and got essentially the same answer. The guy said, yeah, I really like this. So he went to the third paratrooper and he asked him, do you love jumping like these two guys do? And the young man responded, no, sir, I hate it. And the general said, well, then why do you do it? And the young paratrooper responded, because I love being with the guys. Who love to jump, sir. Because I love being with the guys who love to jump, sir. And that is so true in life. Down through the years, there have been many assignments from the Lord that I'm not sure I would have carried out or had the courage to do on my own. But I did them because people I loved and respected encouraged me with their words, but also with their life, their example. And they challenged me to step out and obey the Lord. A couple of years ago, we joined in with another couple to host an alpha group. And as a result of our time together, we saw several people come to faith in Christ. Our numbers grew. We decided to do it all over again. This second time, we used the Why Believe series. And again, we saw people come to faith in Christ. Later, someone said to me just while we were eating around the island, they said, you know, as I think about all of this, I, I just could never, I don't think I could have ever had the courage to, to do something like this, much less invite a friend to something like this. But... Because so many of us stepped out in faith and did it, I somehow got the courage to invite my friend as well. That's the power of a loving community of friends who, you know, it's not about them. But it's about the mission God's called us to. You know, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, he, he did not intend for us to go it alone. That wasn't addressed just to us as individuals. It was really addressed to Christians, to the entire church. And then fourthly, Jesus accomplished his mission by loving others sacrificially. Matthew 20, verse 28 Jesus was speaking of himself when he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is so, so accurately describes the, the life of our Lord. Though, though he went away by himself at times to rest and, and to recalibrate and to be with his heavenly father, he tirelessly invested in the lives of those who came across his path. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus taught about what real love for others is by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know that story, but it was a fellow that is on his way to another community, and on the way there, he gets jumped by a bunch of thugs who leave him basically bloodied near death. Sometime later, a priest comes along, kind of looks at the mess and walks around it and keeps going. Sometime later, a Levite comes along, sees the same thing, walks around this fellow and just keeps going. But then a Samaritan, who at the time was despised by the Jews, he comes along. He takes pity on this man. He cares for his wounds, brings him to an inn, and ensures that he is cared for. Now, referring to that story, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made this observation. He said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked when they approached this man, the question that they asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? What will this cost me? What will this do to my schedule? But the Good Samaritan, when he came and saw this broken, bloodied man, he reversed the question. He asked, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? And you see, friends, that is what loving others is all about. Genuine love is a sacrificial, generous love that puts the needs and interests of others ahead of ourselves. It's interesting that while the religious leaders questioned Jesus, slandered him, threatened him, discredited him, and eventually arranged to have him crucified, up to the last week before the crucifixion, the common folk loved Jesus. And the reason was because he didn't walk by the common folks on his way to the temple. He healed them. He ministered to them. He focused on relationships. And Jesus turned his world right side up. In Acts 2, we read the early church impacted their community in much the same way Jesus did. First of all, they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, and they functioned in the authority and the power of God. But furthermore, they loved one another with such an authentic and profound way that others actually wanted to join them. In Acts four, uh, 2, verse 47, it says, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. 
And what that tells me is that they were reaching out to the people around them. They were loving others around them. I mean, you, you don't win the favor of people in your community by ignoring them. And it tells me that they were praying for them. They were inviting them over for meals, perhaps. They were serving them in whatever way it was God was prompting them to. And they weren't doing it alone. They were joining arm in arm, doing it together as Christians. Historian Will Durant confirms this. He says, never had the world seen such love as that of Christ and the early Christians. They helped widows and orphans, the sick, the prisoners, victims of natural disasters. When everyone else in that day left them to die. They frequently intervened on behalf of the poor to prevent unusual exploitation. They founded hospitals. They provided unusual care for the sick. They gave away their fortunes for charitable purposes. And as it says in Acts 2, thousands came to Christ. Every day, people were coming to faith in Christ, becoming part of the Christian community. Within three centuries, more than 50% of the Roman Empire, the then known world, were passionate Christ followers. This is what God calls us to as a church. And I remind you that the church is not buildings, it's not a worship service. The church is us, followers of Jesus. This is what we're called to, to link arms with one another. You know, to not be taking shots at each other. So much of the thing that grieves me in the, in, in, in the, in the church in general is we spend so much time attacking each other. God wants us to link arms with one another as families, as friends in, in, in our community. And, and those of us who are ministering to children and youth and carrying out his mission of loving others to Jesus here in the city, in our country and around the world. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, it's not easy to go. It's intimidating to step out in faith in response to God's leading. And I say that as a pastor. Don't ever think that it, I think it's a piece of cake starting a spiritual conversation with someone who, you know, I'm not sure, but they might have a conniption, you know, if I bring up the name of Jesus. For some of us to go is going to require a change of heart. It will require a change of conviction that focuses less on our own interests, that focuses less on our need for safety and security and our bank account and the need to be liked. It's going to require a change of conviction about that. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And it's like he says, 
after that, he says, think about this. For those of you who are hanging on to the stuff of this life and you're afraid to step out and do the things that are going to matter for eternity, it's like he says, think about this. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Jesus says here, following here, following him is going and going where he leads is going to require three things of us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. Denying yourself means to put the interests and the needs of others ahead of yourself the way that the Good Samaritan did. Taking up your cross is choosing to listen to him and to honor him and obey and follow him even if all of your prayers or maybe none of your prayers have been answered, even if the good life just seems like a dream away, it's not happening for you, even if it seems like God's not coming through for you, taking up your cross is following him anyways. Because he's God. He may not be your Santa Claus, but he's God. Following Jesus means I trust him and that I see others through his eyes. It means that my heart's broken by the things that break his heart. You know, those of you who are parents, I'm wondering if you've ever experienced losing your children in a very crowded mall or some other venue that lasted, and they were gone for several minutes, if not longer. Uh, can you remember how your adrenaline spiked? How your heart began to race and panic increased as you began to fear the worst? Well, my wife and I, Gwen, um, can totally identify with that. Because as many of you have heard me tell stories down through the years, each of our boys as preschoolers took their respective turn testing our cardiovascular system by suddenly vanishing uh, from sight. But, but here's the thing. It was a year or two later, I was watching a program on television in which they were talking about missing children. And they displayed picture after picture of missing children with a brief description of their background and, and the date when they disappeared. And above each picture in bold letters uh, were the words, have you seen this child. And as I was watching this program and listening to the commentary and looking at the pictures of these children, I suddenly realized that, that I wasn't feeling hardly any emotion for these missing children. And, and I wondered why. And I really had no answer other than the fact that I didn't know them. And I mean, as, as I explained a moment ago, if that would have been one of our children, it would have wrecked me. If that had been one of our children, I would have turned the world upside down. I would have sold everything. I would have emptied my bank account. I would have knocked on doors. I would have gone on television and made a fool of myself, begging people to help. I would have done whatever I had to do for as long as I had to do it to try to get my child back. And if it was your child we're talking about, you would have done no less. 
Now, if you can identify with the emotion of that at all, then you have a little idea of how God feels. Because as I heard someone explain years ago, every person who's not following Christ is one of God's missing children. Do you get that? In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, then now you know at least a little bit how God feels about you. How desperately he wants to be in your life and wants you to come back home to him. When God looks at your parents, when he looks at your siblings or your co-workers or fellow students who are far from him, in some cases who are oblivious to him, who are maybe even deliberately ignoring him, his heart breaks for his missing kids. The question is, does your heart break for God's missing kids? Is your heart wrecked by the poverty, the homelessness, the disease and injustice that God's kids are facing around the world? Or how about the youth in our city who are trying to fill that spiritual vacuum in their soul? You know, they may have everything that life can afford them and so many times because we think that they're well off, we forget about their soul and that the need of their soul is as deep and as great as the need of a soul of a child on the other side of the world. We see the vacuum in their soul and they're trying to fill it with sex and drugs and alcohol, anything to fill the emptiness. Or how about the person at the office or in your class? Or maybe it's your neighbor who just seems so cynical, so anti-God and yet so incredibly lonely and struggling with the meaning of life. In what ways are we joining with God and with each other in reaching his spiritual kids in our city and around the world? Now again, please understand, what God calls you to do is going to be different than what he calls me to do. And sometimes what he calls you to do is not always going to be earth-shattering. It's not always going to involve selling everything you have and moving to the other side of the world, though he may call some of you to do that. And if he calls you to do that, he's going to give you the strength. And he's going to give you the means to make it possible. What is important, you see, is that you're not focusing on what God's calling other people to do. We serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God. And it's important that we focus on what he's calling us to do. He knows where people's hearts are at. He knows where your neighbor's at. He knows where that person in the office is at. He knows where that teenager's at. He knows where that child is at that you're ministering to in children's ministry. He knows all that. He knows things that you don't know. And he knows what's needed. And he knows who's needed to make his will happen on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so we can trust him to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. We don't have to carry it. He never intended for us to carry it. We can rest in him. Our responsibility is to stay close to him and to listen to his voice through the scriptures and through his whispers and then to carry out the assignments that he gives us. That we're responsible for. That we must not neglect. That we must not explain away. He calls us to love him and then to show his love to the people that he brings into our lives. That's it. For some of us, God may prompt us to spend a period of time just praying daily for someone on our own and also perhaps with some close friends around us. For others, God may prompt us to sit with a co-worker who we've seen sitting alone time and time again and just to start up a conversation with them, maybe offer to pray for them in their situation. Still for others, he may lead us to have a brief conversation with a waitress who's serving us, to ask how her day's going, to give her a word of encouragement, ask how we might pray for her perhaps, and then leave her a generous tip. Reggie McNeil tells the story of a fellow who in response to the promptings of God regularly said to those serving him at a restaurant, he said, in a moment I'm going to pray and ask God to bless my food. How can I ask God to bless you? I love that question. And over time, the staff at that particular restaurant that he frequented often would seek him out during their break. And they would sit with him. And they'd open up their lives to him. And some of those people came to faith in Christ. He shared this with his small group of friends. And they decided they were going to do the same. And so all over that city, people were asking that question. One day, he visited a different restaurant some distance away from the one that he frequented. He proceeded to ask the waitress the same question, and she smiled and said, are you one of those blessings people? Wow. You know, I can't think of a greater compliment than for us as Christ's followers to be known all over Calgary as those blessings people. Amen. To be people who listen to God and just go around and bless people. And then just one more thing. Whatever assignment God gives you, remember the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. He said, and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't ever forget that. Whatever it is he calls you to do, wherever it is he calls you to go, you are not alone. He is with you. He is with you. He's guiding you. He's protecting you. He's empowering you. And he's working through you to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. Ways you can never produce in your own strength. You know, whenever I share God's love with someone, whenever I preach God's word as I'm doing right now, I believe with all my heart that the Lord is at work. He's doing a work through me, through my weakness. 
in a way that I could never produce in my own strength. And therefore, I constantly pray in my spirit, even as I'm talking with a person or when I'm talking like this, Lord, reveal your reality. Lord, reveal your truth to these people right now. Soften hearts, Lord. Draw them to yourself. May they see you as you really are because once they do, they'll never walk away from you again. And you know, over and over again, he has amazed me. I've seen him transform the lives of hundreds, thousands of people. So he'll amaze you. And he'll use you to impact others for eternity if you'll just surrender to him and let him live his life of love through you. It's going to take courage. It's going to take faith to step out, to begin to reach out to those that God's brought into your life. But I can tell you from personal experience that nothing, absolutely nothing will make your Christian life come alive more. If you think your life as a Christian is dry, I encourage you to step out because nothing will grow your faith more. Nothing will enrich your prayer life more. Nothing will grow your marriage more. Nothing will, will bond your friendships, your family more, or give you greater joy, or glorify God more than when you love God, when you love one another, and when you love others. In other words, when you pursue the mission God's called you to, and you join together with a few others, and you pray together for God to direct you and to use you to share your love of Jesus with others. Absolutely nothing. This is why we're here and not in heaven, folks. Would you please stand with me for closing prayer? Would you just open your hands before the Lord and ask him those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What's the one step you want me to take? wondering, has God given you a burden to pray for or reach out to someone who needs the Lord? Can you picture them in your mind? It may be your son or daughter. It may be a sister or brother. It may be a mom and dad, a friend at school, at work, whoever it is. I'm going to invite you to exercise a little bit of courage for a few moments and to bring that person that God's laid on your heart right up here to the throne of grace. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, come to the altar, and just pray for that person. To take a moment and ask the Lord to use you, to empower you, to introduce that person to Jesus that you know and love. The Bible says we have not because too often we do not ask in persistent prayer. So I want to give you that opportunity to exercise a bit of courage to step out and to say, Lord, 
I not only want to pray for that person, but I want to be available for you to use to see that person come to faith in Christ. So just make your way up here right now. I'm going to ask you to pray for them. You can go back to your seat. I'm going to close in prayer in about three minutes. So I just want to invite you to come right now. Father, we just praise you for your love and your grace for demonstrating that love by sending Jesus to us. Thank you for your word, the reminder, Lord, that our highest calling is to follow your son in making the invisible kingdom visible for all to see. Lord, we come to the throne of grace today because we acknowledge that we're weak, that we're incapable of changing the hearts of those that you've burdened us with. Our money won't do it, our, our intelligence won't do it, our charm won't do it. No, Lord, we need the Spirit to do it. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would use whatever means, Lord, that you've burdened us with in the life of these people to draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would assault them with your love and your grace. We're committing ourselves today, Lord, to prevail in prayer for those that you've burdened us with. We're not going to hand them over, Lord, to the enemy. No, Lord, we're going to fight the fight of faith. We're going to fight it on our knees, on their behalf. And Lord, after we're done, we're going to pray again. And Lord, we won't let go, Lord, until you respond and touch and transform these lives with your saving grace. Lord, we repent of inconsistency, apathy in our lives, and we, we just surrender ourselves anew to your Lordship. Fill us with your Spirit afresh, oh God, I pray. Empower us to be who we could never be in our own strength. Use us in whatever way, Lord, you see fit to make a difference in the lives of those that you bring into our lives. We love you, Lord. Our trust is in you. For we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord just live his life through you and encourage you today and strengthen you today and empower you today to be that difference in the life of those he brings across your path. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. 
For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.